as we uh, gather this morning. Just a real quick note before we get started. We are, the first for the first morning, we're live streaming the event. Um, so right now we're testing it with a camera, and the microphone is on the camera in the back. So if you're having that hushed conversation with someone uh, towards the back, it is going to be broadcast live all over the world. So just a reminder that that camera is on there in the back, and as we test different equipment and get it so it's part of our increased security measure, just being aware of things so we can broadcast the, the service out front, but also to those who are watching from afar. Let's take a moment and quiet ourselves. I'm going to lead us in a time of silence, and then we will pray the Lord's Prayer together as we begin this morning. Pray with me. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you everyone for being here on this holiday weekend. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the teachers here at Grace Church. I want to welcome everybody who's watching today on the live stream, as well as those who listen on the podcast, Scotty Durham down in Mexico, the Hansons up in Oregon, different people all over the world download the podcast every week and listen to it, as well as those that are home can and our family that are normally here who can't be here because they're either traveling or they're sick this morning. Uh, we welcome everyone. I'm just back. I just got back in the night before Thanksgiving, finishing up a week and a half of teaching down in Mexico. There were 19 missionary students there from Peru, Mexico, Holland, Australia, New Zealand, Guam, which I've never taught a student from Guam before. That was interesting. Canada and the U.S., and I was teaching on the import, the impact, and the imminence of church, of the history of the church. Half the journey was an adventurous trip up in the mountains of northern Baja. You'll see the images here on the screen. Most people don't picture pine trees and rocky granite outcroppings as part of Mexico. Um, I had never been to this place before, but it was stunningly beautiful. But what happened in the students was much more beautiful. More beautiful than the glorious night sky that we saw out there. More beautiful even than the epic sunrises and sunsets. You see these students from such different backgrounds, different countries, came together, worked together, and learned together. We asked difficult questions, and we listened with humble hearts. They owned their prejudices and their ignorance. They caught a vision for being part of something much bigger, much larger than they ever thought they could be. They opened themselves up to a love for the church and the centuries-long, still-flowing river of people and places, tragedies and glories, and embraced the ultimate telos, or end of it all, the glory of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God. 
It was a sacred time that I got to have, and I wish each of you and all of you could have been there with me. It's a subversive thing, this kingdom of God that we're talking about this morning, and we talk about often here at Grace Church. Along with the church that it's modeled upon, it rarely, if ever, works as expected or in expected ways. You see, the kingdom defies our control, it confounds our philosophies, and demands that we enter by faith to trust in it. This is the way God works, like it or not. Most of the time, we don't like it. And neither have people throughout history, especially in the text we dive into this week. But listen, if we don't understand, much less know or are aware of our history, we'll always devolve into isolated, nationalistic, selfish, and single-focused subcultures. We'll trade a truly biblical vision of the kingdom for some shallow, me-first version that every other worldly group or nation abides by. Of course, in America, we may dress it up with a few Bible verses, but make no mistake, it's still selfish, and it's still not the kingdom. Thank God, literally, thank God for the eternal witness of the Word, of the church, the Holy Spirit, and the way each year we are invited into the story of the Creator through Advent and Christmas, Lent and Easter and Pentecost. Thank God also for the enduring message of the prophets and the opportunity to repent of our idolatries and turn to the only true hope to once again put our trust in God and in God alone. Pray with me as we begin. Jesus, this is about you. This is about your kingdom. And God, I pray that as you are here in the person of your Holy Spirit, that you would guide us into all truth, that what I say would help that, and anything that I say that takes away, you would expose that. I pray that you would give us, this church, discernment into what is true and beautiful and good, and that you would lead us into that eternal inhaling and exhaling of repentance and faith. We don't claim that we can do this in our own power. This is only by your Spirit. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at a text from Isaiah. The past couple weeks, as Norma and Feli have taught, have introduced us into the words of the prophet, how they spoke to the people of Israel. And Isaiah is doing the same thing here, specifically to a king, a leader. But the message is for all of us. And the message is that what we can never do for ourselves, God does for us. However, he often does this in a subversive as well as miraculous fashion. Now, as we get into the text this morning, I want to give a little extended time for some background so we understand what's going on. I was struck this week, again, as I studied. These are real people and places that are being talked about. Oftentimes, our temptation is to reduce the Bible into precepts or principles or ways that we can take and just 
break it down into a few rules or a few guidelines to live our lives. And that's true. I mean, we do that with the Bible, and that's necessary. But it can't be the first thing we do. The first thing we have to do is understand what it meant to those who were hearing the message and who those people were, what it was for them. And it's easy to lose sight that when we read the Bible, those aren't just characters. They're not fictionalized people like we see in movies or read in novels. These were real people in real places living real lives. And I think that's why the Bible goes to such extent to name, give names, give places, give context to these people. Y'all, this is history. This really happened. What we're going to read about this morning actually happened. And again, not to overemphasize the point, but we have to learn these histories. Not necessarily names and dates and how they all go together, but a sense of what happened and who it happened to if we are to accurately place our own story in proper context and have proper perspective on it. So the text we're reading this morning from Isaiah, we have to understand Ahaz was a king in Judah. So the prophet Isaiah is talking to Ahaz in this thing. Now this Ahaz was a king of the southern kingdom that contained Jerusalem as a capital. And it can be confusing, right? Is because we think, well, Israel wasn't Israel the people of God, but Israel was the northern kingdom, but Ahaz was in the south, but that's where Jerusalem is, and we normally think of Jerusalem as being part of Israel. But the two kingdoms split, and we need to remember the history here too. See, back when King Solomon took over from his dad, David, he built the wealthiest and most powerful kingdom the Hebrews would ever see, ever saw up to that point, have ever seen since but it came at an impossibly high cost. And it was built in direct disobedience to God's intention. You see, Solomon exchanged land. He gave up land that God had given the people in order to pay for his extravagances. And not only that, he actually sold people into slavery, sent them off as indentured slaves to other lands to work to pay off his massive debt for building this kingdom. And when Solomon died, the corruption was so far extended that the ten northern tribes rebelled. They refused to submit to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. From this point on, there would be Israel to the north and Judah to the south. The Israelites formed their capital in Samaria. The Judeans kept Jerusalem as their capital, and neither ever really prospered again. Through a combination of corrupt rulers and an inauspicious geography, along with general disobedience and idolatry, the people were plagued. Way back, and it goes way back to when the Hebrews first asked for a king in the book of Judges, they were told specifically that only God was their king. That they were supposed to be a distinct people, not a people like the nations around them, not a people who had a king in a man, a person. But they were supposed to be a a nation, a people, who had God as their king. Instead, they chose Saul. And even though Samuel directly confronted them and told them this was an act of disobedience, he ultimately went along with giving it a veneer of religiosity, a veneer of God's blessing, as they did it. He warned them that they would pay dearly if they established this monarchy, 
and tried to be like everyone else. They didn't listen. And that brings us to our text today. In the part we study today, Judah is facing attack from both Israel to the north and Syria. Ahaz, the king of Judah, is desperate. And he's contemplating cutting a deal with the help of Assyria. And Assyria were were the bad guys. They were the oppressors. But he's so... He's so overwhelmed, he's, he's contemplating this. And while this would give him a temporary advantage over the north, the price would be entering into an allegiance with the evil empire of the time. As Ahab contemplates his options, the prophet Isaiah urges Ahaz instead to trust in God and refuse to compromise and put his trust in the coalitions, the economies, the armies of other countries. As motivation, he declares that God would provide all the protection required. How? He offers the birth of a child would serve as a sign of this. Now, I don't know about y'all, but it's pretty easy for me to put myself in the place of Ahaz in this thing. Everything that I've built, everything that I'm responsible for, all the people I'm, I'm responsible to protect, to provide for, is being threatened. And not just, not just a little bit, but by I mean being threatened by being wiped out, turned into slave, carried off into captivity. And, and I'm responsible for that. And as a dad, as a father, as a husband, I feel that responsibility immensely. And then someone comes along and says, hey, look, you just got to trust. You just got to trust God. And I'm like, okay, I want to do that. I want to do that. What, what's the sign? Help me out here. Give me something. Give me something to, to, to sink into. Give me some way that I can agree with you. And they go, hey, listen, I got just the thing. There's going to be a baby born. That's where you lose me. That's where I'm like, okay, you need to... Just go away now, because the big people have to talk. (laughs) But that's exactly what Isaiah did. Let's read the text. This is Isaiah 9, starting with verse 1. The gloom will be dispelled for those who were anxious. In earlier times, he humiliated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But now he brings honor to the way of the sea, the region beyond Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. You have enlarged the nation. You give them great joy. They rejoice in your presence as harvesters rejoice, as warriors celebrate when they divide up the plunder. For their oppressive yoke and the club that strikes their shoulders, the cudgel the oppressors uses on them, you have shattered as in the day of Midian's defeat. Indeed, every boot that marches and shakes the earth and every garment dragged through blood is used as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us. A son has been given to us. His shoulder, he shoulders responsibility and is called extraordinary strategist, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. 
His dominion will be vast, and he will bring immeasurable prosperity. He will rule on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing it and strengthening it by promoting justice and fairness from this time forward and forevermore. The Lord's intense devotion to his people will accomplish this. What we can never do for ourselves, God often does for us. But often in subversive and miraculous ways. Ahaz was a king who was charged with responsibility, a very real responsibility for very real people. The prophet is is promising, making promises on behalf of God in a way that must have seemed confusing, far off, far-fetched, and too long in coming. I mean, the, 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 the warriors that were approaching on Jerusalem, the, the armies that were encircling them, they weren't going to wait for a baby to be born, grow up, learn how to go to war, and then save them. Their threat was right then. How often do we likewise feel like, yeah, all that God stuff is great, it's great, and you talk about whenever it's going to come, but I'm hurting right now. I'm oppressed right now. I'm bankrupt right now. I'm abandoned right now. I don't have time to wait on God to show up. Ahaz must have felt that way. But we have to consider why he was in the predicament in the first place. We have to remember our history. We have to remember our history of the church. We also have to remember our own histories. You see, this is a question of where are we putting our trust? Because where we put our trust has consequences. It has results. Are we putting our trust in our wealth? That we want to be like everybody else or better than everyone else? Wealthier, flashier, bigger homes, bigger cars, bigger bank account? Are we trusting in our education? What about our nationality? That we're better than everybody else. We're the superpower. We'll get it solved by military and politics, government programs. How about our race? The world has been divided by race throughout history. There is no denying that. It always has been and it is now. Is it the color of our skin we're trusting in to lead us through, to deliver us? What about how smart we are? How we discern and how we figure things out. How good we are at those things. And if you're not sure, and let me tell you, this was incredibly convicting as I thought about it. If you're not sure where you are putting your trust in these things, if you're like, well, I don't trust any of those things. I trust in God. Let me ask you this. What riles you up the most? When you see that nominal high school friend post that political scree on Facebook, how much does that get your blood pressure up? Think about what do you go to war on? What are you? You're an okay guy. 
you're an okay person, but then somebody says that one thing that you disagree with about politics, about race, about economics, about football, and you just go off. I mean, you're, you feel the flush in your cheek. You start writing the rebuttal in your head. You start thinking of all the books you want to throw at this person to prove how they're wrong about that point. When you start feeling that, you need to stop and take stock because it's quite possible you have invested a little too much trust in whatever that position, whatever that person, whatever that personality is. What do you spend the most time defending? Chances are that's where you're putting your trust. What's the result? And what's the result of this? What is the result of placing our trust in something other than God, other than Jesus, other than his kingdom? Well, I mean, what happened? What? Come on, it's really not like, well, I'm just a guy, right? I'm just a person, Fayetteville, Arkansas, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't have consequences. If you don't think there's consequences, you're not paying attention. We are a world at war. Watching the images just this morning of worshipers who went to worship in a mosque, slaughtered, slaughtered as they went to worship and on their way out. The poverty as we drove through the hills and mountains of Mexico from one prosperous region, then through the areas where Jane and I and many of you have here gone to build houses. It's everywhere. There's the degrading of the environment at a breathtaking speed and efficiency. Recognizing the racial oppression, the promotion of all that is obscene, vacuous, and vain. And now before you think I'm going to go all hellfire and brimstone on you here, I want to make something clear. I don't get worked up about this because of some kind of moral ethic, although it is ethical and it is moral. And I don't get worked up about this in some hypothetical or theoretical way. I had this opportunity when I was down in Mexico after we came down, and y'all that have been there know the, the youth of the mission base is just across from the, from the ocean there. And my buddy Omar and I got to go out early one morning surfing. We took our longboards out, and you get up early just as it's getting light, and you, you paddle out into the smoothness of the ocean. You paddle out just above the break, and you sit up on your board, and the sun crawls over the mountains behind you. It starts to illuminate the ocean in front of you. And you look down, and the water's so clear, you can see 10 feet down, you can count the sand dollars on the bottom. And it's so clear, the sardines start to school up under the shadow of your surfboard, looking for camouflage from the birds. And you feel the breeze, and you taste the brine of the ocean. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful. 
And you don't have to go to Mexico to get that. You don't have to sit on a surfboard to do that. Every Sunday, every time we gather around, I, I see it in the face of Bolton and Keller and every kid that comes in here. And I see it in your faces too. The face of all of you that are part of this church. There is beauty. There is the image of God that you were created in and that you reflect and that you radiate. That is what offends me about this idolatry, about this putting our trust in something other than the kingdom of God, is that it defies that image. It defies what is good and beautiful and true. It is an offense to everything that God created us to be, everything that God desires for us, everything that God intends for us. He never intended for us to have any other king but himself. He never intended for us to trust in any other thing but his word and his presence and his kingdom. And I've defied that. I've defiled that. I've chased after other things. I've put my trust in other things, other people, politics and power. Isaiah was calling Ahaz to repent here. He was calling him to trust in the most subversive way, in a way that subverts all the other idolatries, all the other systems, all the other ways of believing. The kingdom of God is the most subversive thing ever known in the cosmos. It subverts sin and selfishness, violence and abuse. We're about to enter into this celebration of Advent. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. And you know, growing up Southern Baptist, we didn't do Advent. I didn't even know what that was. Catholics did that, you know. Um, but the older I get and the more I practice it, the more I, I get four weeks to anticipate Christmas. I get time stretched out to really look at it. The more I value it because it helps fight against the clarion call of the world to buy more, do more, feel more around this time, right? I mean, there's such incredible pressure in our society to perform for Christmas. To have the beautiful Facebook post, to have the perfect Christmas morning, to make sure all the kids are happy and the relatives are fed, and all those things. And it's, I mean, it's fine in its place. But it should be, should be peripheral to what's really going on. And so I say all this in preparation for Advent, that we would examine our idolatries this week. You know, this, this past week, we were reminded to count our blessings and give thanks, which is awesome. And while those are good practices... They're actually very difficult, if not impossible, if you feel you're constantly being let down, disappointed, or forgotten. 
And while it's not natural and even healthy to feel that way in difficult and demanding circumstances, oftentimes when we're disappointed, it's because we've misplaced our trust. We put our trust in some person or some experience or something to do something that it can never do, that it can never deliver. So I want to encourage all of us, myself included, I'll do this, this week as we prepare for Advent. Yes, give thanks, count thanks, but also where are you disappointed? Where are you defensive? Where are you defeated? And ask yourself, is that a result of putting your trust in something other than the miraculous, subversive, eternal, an unending kingdom of God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. As we approach the table, we talk a lot about this table as a place where we are gathered, regathered together, gathered together, assembled, and then sent out. We come together to share the table. We go out into the world. It's an inhaling and an exhaling. That's very similar to what I hope we will practice this week as we reflect on this soberly, yet hopefully. Is that we would exhale out in repentance. We would let go, we would confess those things which we have trusted in, which aren't worthy to be trusted in. Those things that defy the good, the true, the beautiful. And then we would inhale that faith we would bring into ourselves that strong trust, that proper placement of trust in God and God's kingdom. And that that would become a regular rhythm with that. And so as you approach the table, approach it knowing that you are welcomed. You're welcomed at this table. And it's also an invitation to let go of every other allegiance every other affiliation, every other thing you put your trust in. And to trust again this morning, right now, trust again this morning, right now, in God and His kingdom and what He's done. Take it in faith and walk it out as we go. Thank you for being here.